0: My wife leaned over while we were <clears throat> singing that last song. She said, imagine if every time we came into the house of the Lord, we came with that attitude. We just you know, took all the stuff from work in the last week. And we just put that aside. You know, the argument you have with your kids about what they're going to wear, you put that aside. You know what I mean? You know, the fact that you got a mortgage payment, you don't know how you're going to make, and you got... You know, car payments and something's broke down and all these different things happen. But you came into the house of the Lord. And you said, I put all this aside, Lord. Right now, it's all about you. If every time we came together as God's people, we just said, it's all about you. There'd be such a shift in the atmosphere. Because the Bible, the Bible makes it clear that the Lord inhabits What? the praises of his people so when we come in we just say God everything else we just put it aside it's all about you this morning and his his holy spirit is able to move his holy spirit is able to work it's able to transform it's able to change the only thing that limits the work of holy spirit on the earth is his church likewise the only thing that accomplishes his will on this earth is his church you might say, well, that's not a real good plan. It's the only one he's got, so you better, you better bite into it because the church is it. It's what his plan is. It's you and me. That's right. That's why he doesn't just redeem you and take it to heaven instantly. He's, You're his plan to transform the earth. You're it. He's going to partner with us. He's invited us to sit at his table. And as Pinky and the Brain would say, make plans to take over the world. <laughs> Are you hearing me this morning? That's his plan. That's his plan. And you might say, well, I'm not sure that's a great plan. But it doesn't matter whether you think it's a great plan. It's his plan. Therefore, it's a great plan, right? Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you that your plan is us. We're thankful that we get to be part of that plan. It's incredible, wonderful that we get to be part of that plan. And Lord, that, that's accomplished because of what Jesus did on the cross for every one of us. And then he proved that his death was able to do what he said it would do by raising in triumph over the grave. Raising the newness of life and saying, you know, as I've I've risen, every one of you will one day be reunited with me in that same state. Glorified in the presence of God. And Father, we thank you that, Lord, that you've made that promise to us. And we know that the Bible says the promises of God are yes and amen to them that believe. So we take hold of that this morning. And Father, we bring our best to you today. We say here I am in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated, but shake somebody's hand first. Tell them they're looking good. And even if you think they're only looking average, tell them they're still looking good. Thank you so much, worship team awesome, awesome job this morning. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, we haven't talked about, really, about the gifts of the Father since May, because we had Ken in, and then it was Father's Day, and, and we had Jesse Canlon in, I should say, and then it was Father's Day, so um, it's good. Jesse and his wife, Erica, by the way, want to say thank you to the house. They they had needed uh, an additional $4,500 to cover all of their costs while they were going to be in Israel from now until uh, September. And uh, they got all $4,500 here at the end of it. So just put your hands together. Thank you for that. Praise the Lord. They were thrilled said it was the best send-off they could have had. They said they loved Desert Stream. They said if they lived in Belleville, this is where they'd be every Sunday. And uh, they were so grateful for the response and for the love. And they said they thanked everyone for the conversations, the questions, all of it in the foyer. They enjoyed every minute of it. And they wanted to just say thank you from the bottom of their heart and to keep praying for them while they're over in Israel, working with governments, trying to figure out how they're going to accomplish the vision that they have. Uh, And so getting the land and all that seems to be uh something that's going to be not that hard but getting all of the cooperation from the different uh you know aspects of government uh sports recreation tourism all of it so they need your prayers in getting that accomplished amen so uh, i like big faith and big vision don't you come on it's uh, exciting to be partners with them on that so praise the lord um I'm just going to read uh, 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11 again and go back just to that passage as we talk about the set of gifts we're looking at right now. And Peter said this, but the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. We've all heard that many times before, right? Famous passage. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. But here's the verse I want you to focus on this morning. As each one has received a gift, Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let them speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let them do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Like I said, verse uh, 8 is the one that everybody knows from this passage, but it's verse 10, as each one has received a gift. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. As each one received, has received a gift. Here, his scripture is making it plain. We've all received a gift. Turn to the person beside you and say, you're gifted. You're gifted. Everybody's received a gift. Nobody's without. You might think, well, I don't have any gifts. Yes, you do. You absolutely do. Everybody is gifted. And... Uh, Peter is saying, each one, that means everybody, right? Each one has received. That's an emphatic statement. He doesn't say he's possibly received, maybe received. And then he says, minister it to one another. So that's how we're supposed to use that gift, ministering it to one another. Sometimes we think the gifts are there to validate us. They're there to qualify us. They're there to make people look at us and go, wow, look at you. But that's not their purpose. Their purpose is so that we could lift one another up. We could minister to one another. We could build one another up. That's what they're there for. They're to be used to encourage, to equip, to exhort, to educate, to edify the body of Christ and a bunch of other E words. Amen? (laughs) And then the thing to remember is it's given to you by grace. Again, just like all of the gifts of God, you didn't do anything to, to earn it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. God didn't look down and say, well, aren't you special? I'm going to give you this gift because you have worked so hard for it. He doesn't operate that way. Everything that we enjoy from the Father comes to us through the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Amen? The Bible makes that so plain over and over and over again that, that you, know, you know just like salvation, everything else that comes to us, you don't have to work for it. It comes to us by grace. And the hard part about that is it's totally the opposite of the way the world works. And you know, tomorrow morning, you're going to have to get up and go to work. If you don't, you're not going to get paid at the end of the week. Those who are, you know, contractors on your own business, you know that if you don't get up and go to work, not only don't you get paid, but probably everybody else who works with you is not going to get paid either. That we live in a meritocracy, right? In other words, Things come to us because we merit them based on effort, work, investment, etc., etc. That's what we live in. And society needs to work that way because we we are living in in a fallen world. We're not in glory yet. You know, ever since the fall in the garden, the fields only yield their crops by the work of our hands, right? The trees only bear their fruit by the pruning and the trimming. How many know what I'm talking about? You got seed, time, and harvest. All those things are in there. They're necessary for us to be able, in the natural, to be able to obtain the things that we need. But there's also a spiritual thing that's going on at the same time. And the things of the Spirit don't get earned. The things of the Spirit are given by grace. Someone say amen. And the reason they're given by grace is because there's none of us that could, could be good enough to ever merit the things of the eternal. The Bible makes that so plain not by works of righteousness, which you have done, right? But it's by His grace that we receive all things. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't honor investment spiritually. You ever met these people that <clears throat> they, uh, you know, they're, they're not only good-looking and fit, right? But they're smart, can play four sports, three instruments, right? You know the kind I'm talking about? Speak nine languages, you know, you know, those type of people, you just look at me go, oh, yeah. Could I just have had some of that, Lord? You know what I've discovered is that the old saying from a famous uh, concert pianist, his name was Jan Podworski, I think is how you pronounce his last name. And after he finished a concert one night, right, someone came up to him and they said, how in the world did you get so accomplished at p- the piano? Like, You're incredible. And he said, oh, he said, it it was really quite easy. He said, I just practiced for four hours a day, every day of my life. (laughs) And and they looked at him, they said, four hours a day? And he said, yeah, four hours a day, my whole life. And they said, man, I wish I had that kind of discipline. He said, you do. He said, we all have it. I just chose to use mine. (laughs) Oh, ow, right? And sometimes the reason we see these people who seem to have so much is because they're investing in what they have. And so to the one that invests much, God will give much. To the one who invests little, right? You guys all know the parable of the sower, right? I mean, the parable of the talents, I should say, when he goes out. And, and, and the one who buried it in the sand, what did he get? Rebuked, right? He didn't take what God gave him and invest it and use it. Someone say Amen. So that was what this morning's message is called. The gifts are ours and we have them and we've been designed to be used. I said to Amanda, should I call it use it or lose it? And then she said, Oh yeah, I like that title. And I said, I guess that's not really true, because it's not like if you don't use it, you, you will lose it. It's always there. The minute you decide to go ahead and use it, it'll still be there. You know, but so what we tamed it a little bit to design to be used, but use it or lose it seemed a little more provocative. But anyway. Uh, The reality is this. God gave us these gifts to be used. It was never his intention that you should park them on a shelf somewhere and not use them for his glory. Amen? So what I want to do now is I want to just talk about our spiritual DNA. Oh, sorry, I'm going to go through these real quick. Get past that. Problem when you put bullets in our spiritual DNA. Turn to Psalm 139, please. Psalm 139. 139. We're going to begin reading at verse 13. Sorry, I'm a, <clears throat> a little hoarse today. I've been fighting a cold since Monday, so I'll be drinking lots of water because my throat's very dry. That's why I got the, the Yeti up here. Needed loss, But... Uh, here we go. Psalm one thirty nine, beginning of verse thirteen. You, for you formed me in my inward parts; you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you from fearfully and wonderfully made. Everybody say it. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. In other words. God skillfully made you who you were. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they are written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet were none of them. That's a fancy way of saying, before you were born and ever lived a single day, they were all in the heart of God, ready and prepared for you to live. That God saw who you were, fashioned you as who you are, placed you in your mother's womb, and from the day you were born, he blessed you and graced you with certain abilities and gifts, and that he put them in you because he intended for you to use them for his glory. So incredible are they that he says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. People wonder why is the church of Jesus Christ seem so fixated on the whole pro-life movement? It's because we believe that from the point of conception, every human being is a unique creation of God. And we simply can't get around not only the the, the biblical truth of that, but the science of that. That from the moment that you were conceived in your mother's womb, that the DNA of your mother, the DNA of your father came together and they fused to create a unique person, a person who's fingerprint is unlike any other person in the world, a person whose DNA code is different from every other single human being in the world. That, they, they, that everything about you is 100 percent unique. God made you something very, very, very special. He crafted that way, and so for us, we understand the complexity of that. And, and the crazy thing is is that being pro-life, we have science on our side. We do science on our side they know that from the moment of conception when that flash of light takes place and that that uh life is formed in the womb that the information that makes you a unique person is all already there and it's just a matter of the cells multiplying and replicating and forming what the information is dictating to it to create and to form they know that that's the case Every detail of your physical form is established at conception, color of eyes, hair, pigment of your skin, height, maybe not width, because you can either cooperate with that or, you know what I'm saying, but, uh, (laughs) but, but you get the picture, right? It's all there. It's all there. And in fact, one of the hardest things for an evolutionist to try and explain away is dna it's information the amount of information in in one person the digital inf- if you were to turn it into digital information if you were to print it into books it would be like enough to fill the grand canyon it's a one person the, the amount of information that is in you is incredible and so even if you know you believe that you know it was just a matter of cells replicating and all that kind of stuff and it all happened as proteins and all this other kind of stuff. Where did all the information come from? Where did all the programming come from that makes you different from any other human being and makes human beings different from every other created thing? The amount of data is staggering. Staggering how much there is there. Dan and Katie Fortune, uh, who've written an incredible book about the gifts of God, said this if god has so precisely planned for the development of your physical body eventually subject to degeneration and death how much more has he planned for your giftedness your giftedness which produces eternal results your giftedness which is used to invest in people not just for this existence but that will last throughout eternity If God made a plan for your physical existence that's that detailed, how much more did he take care of gifting you as a person? They went on to say this. We believe that our motivational gifts, the gifts from Romans chapter 12 that we've talked about, are given to us at conception, and that just as our DNA eventually brings forth our physical characteristics, so our motivational gifts bring forth the interests, abilities, enthusiasms and perspectives that make us think feel and act the way that we do. Wow. One of the things that reinforces for the fortunes as they were doing their research uh, and before they created their great book, and if you want to get one of those copies of the books you can do the whole sort of yourself and all the information and we have copies of those we'd be happy to to, uh, you know, get one of those to you and help you be able to do that. And if you've never done the survey before, we can also provide those for you. I know most of the people have done that before here, but we'd love to help you out with that as well. But a lot of their, their, their sense of this a uniqueness that all of us have and, and how it's all programmed into us, and yet the understanding of how it's, it's um, uh, not just something random, but it's put there by God is come from studying identical twins, right? And so you can imagine identical twins will have many, many things in common, right? You know, you look at them, and you see them, and you know physically, they're often mirror images of each other. In fact, you have to sit there and go, "Ah," you know, even their hair seems to want to fall the same way. And unless they do something purposeful to make a distinction between the two, with identical twins, often you can't tell them apart, right? And so, listen to, to this. This is absolutely staggering. That they, they discovered when doing their survey of twins, uh, separated by distance and even years of contact, that the results were nearly identical by these twins. And in their excellent book, Discover Your uh, God-Given Gifts, they recount the findings of a research article in the Reader's Digest in 1980. Listen to this. Identical twin boys, born in Ohio 40 years ago, were adopted by different families shortly after birth. After 39 years apart, they were reunited, and it was discovered that each had been named James, that each had law enforcement training. They went into law enforcement. Each one liked mechanical drawing and carpentry. Each married a woman named Linda. (laughs) Not making this up. Each had a son. One named the son James Allen with one L. The other named a son James Allen with two L's. Seriously. Both had divorced, and then both married a second woman named Betty. <laughs> both had dogs named Toy, and both favored the same St. Petersburg, Florida beach for their vacations in the wintertime. Isn't that amazing? I mean, come on. That's just the most crazy thing I think I ever read. And that just shows you how when God puts that stamp on us, that God, God made these t- twins not just identical physically, but he put all of the same types of giftedness and preferences and everything in them as well, so they would truly be something marvelous from the womb. Amen? That's incredible. These two boys were raised apart in different homes. They had no living opportunity to bump into each other and weren't re- brought back together until they were 40 and rediscovered each other and then recounted these uh, you know, hobbies and all the rest of it. Clearly something more fundamental than external forces and physical DNA is involved. Something I believe that's put in us at conception in Christ Jesus as well. And so <clears throat> I have a little thing I want to put up here for you. So if we get a script. So this is how God designed me. All right? So God made every one of us with three components. Mind, will, emotions, right? And so then God gifted us uniquely as well. First of all, he's made some teacher. The teaching gift obviously works primarily with the mind, right? That's pretty easy to understand. Then He made some to be perceivers. The perceiver gift operates primarily out of the area of the will of the soul, right? And functions in that area. Then he made some to be compassionate. The compassion gift operates primarily out of the emotional area of our soul, right? Mind, will, and emotions. But he made some people to be administrators. Administrator gift operates out of mind, but also the area of the will, having to make decisions and work with people and 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 not just does it take organizational thought but it takes the ability to function and discipline the will then some people are called to be exhorters the exhorter operates out of the mind gets kind of information etc from the lord but also the area of the emotions in the soul and then finally there's the server which didn't pop up for some reason oh yes it did and uh, the server, gift operates out of the will and emotions of the soul. And then finally, the giver. And the giver, I think, operates equally out of all three. Because when you're going to give, you have to make a decision of the mind, a decision of the emotions, and you have to submit your will to be able to do it. And I think it's a unique gift in the sense that if, if you are just an emotional giver, your giving will be short-lived. It'll be short-lived. Because if all you do is operate by your emotions, if you you know, and you don't have any of the, any of the, the mind applied to it, then you'll run out of money before you know it. Because we have to be able to give from what we have. And if we don't have the mind of the Lord and the discipline of the Lord, the money will run out very fast. So many people who are give, but they're just emotional givers, and they're not principled givers, they run out very quickly. Right? You hear what I'm saying? But then you also you also need to be somebody who exercises your will. If you're going to give, you have to willfully submit those finances to the Lord. So it applies to the mind, the will, and the emotions. Now the reason I put that chart up there on the screen is because it helps us to understand that even though we're mind, emotions, and wills, there's these uh, gifts, these seven gifts that operate in varying degrees in everybody in the body of Christ. Everybody has been either called to be a teacher, administrator, perceiver, giver, exhorter, server, or a shower of compassion, a shower of mercy. And you will find that maybe uh, you operate two or three of these. You've got operating in you. Some of you are like, yeah, definitely compassion's not my thing, you know? And uh, I would admit compassion's not my strongest suit. You know, I remember the boys were redoing my roof a couple years ago. And uh, Derek comes over to the side of the house, you know, and he's, Caught himself up on the roof and he's bleeding everywhere. And I look up and I say, Hey, 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 be careful. Don't get it on the interlocking stone. <laughs> that was my compassion, hard at work, right there. You know, thanks, Dad. Yeah, I got this, right? But, and then, you know, all of us have different gifts and strengths, though. And so uh, just because, you know, I'm not Compassion doesn't mean I can't have compassion. My heart is moved by compassion many times in situations. But it's, it's not my, my first gift. I'm more of a teacher-administrator type personality, right? And so how many here would say you're your, your teacher personality? Let me see your hand. Come on, raise them up nice and high so everybody can see. Okay. All right. How many would say, no, that's not me, but I am an administrator? Christy, come on, put that hand up. You know. All right, pretty good. How many would say I'm a perceiver? You know, that prophetic, perceptive type. Let me see your hands. Okay, good, good. All right, how many would say a giver? That's my thing. All right, good, all right. How many would say I'm an exhorter? I like just to build people up. I'm always just speaking things to build people up. Come on, hold those hands nice and high. Okay, maybe we have to pray for an increase in this one. I don't know. All right. How many would say you're a server? I just like to get in there and work and serve and get things done. All right, good. And how many would say your gift is compassion? All right, so you're the ones I'm going to call when I need it right there. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, as you notice, there's a num- about a similar number of hands went up for every one of those things. And, and if you complete the survey, it, it's an incredible uh, exercise. It sometimes helps us to understand areas where we're maybe more gifted than we thought we were and that we have abilities that we didn't even know we had. But the, the point of this whole thing is that you recognize that God takes the soul man, Right? That's, 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 that's the person that we meet when we're walking down the street. <laughs> you know? The people that you meet each day. The person that you meet is, is once you get beyond the physical, what you meet, what you interact with is the soul. Right? And, and the Bible makes it plain that the spirit man, we're made of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. The spirit man is redeemed the instant that we accept Christ. So, You can't be any more saved tomorrow than you are today. And you're not any more saved today than the day when you first accepted Christ. That your spirit man is redeemed instantly and never gets more redeemed. Does everybody follow me? But the Bible also makes it clear that you're being saved. Your soul man is being redeemed every day, right? By the renewing of your mind right? The Bible talks about that process that's happening in your life as you are constantly being worked on, being remade into the image of Christ. He's doing that. And then the Bible also says you're going to one day be saved. It's yet to come. What's that referring to? Your physical body, right? So your spirit is saved instantly the moment that you come to Christ. Your soul is being worked on, your entire life being saved. And your body will be saved the day that you're reunited with Christ and your body is remade at the end of the age. You will be fully then redeemed, right? Fully and completely redeemed in his presence. So I am saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved, right? Body, soul, and spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying? Just trying to help you out here. You've never thought about it. Sometimes you can read the scripture and it gets confusing because, well, am I saved or am I not saved? Yes. All of, All of the above, right? But here's the point. When you meet that person and you're talking with them, when you get past the body, you get past the physical, the connections that we make, the relational connections we make, the, the things that we work together with is that soul man that soul man that's being worked on all the time in the body of Christ. If all we worked was spirit to spirit, we'd never have any conflict in the body of Christ because my spirit's fully redeemed, your spirit's fully redeemed. We're both loved by God and gonna be in his presence, but no, the person I'm dealing with is a soul person. And Issa's gotta deal with that soul person, me and I gotta deal with it in her. And we gotta find a way to love each other even though we're different. You gotta love each other even though you're different. And God wired us all differently so that we could reach this world which is beautifully different and diverse. And when we work with people and we're working person to person, we're actually working soul to soul. We're working mind, emotion, and will. We have to consider all of those elements together and how that person's wired so that we are able to have connection and build strength in the body of Christ. And it's wrong for us to think everybody should think like us. It, it, if you think everybody should think like you, you're in trouble. And especially if you think your spouse should just think like you, you're in trouble. How many know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Lloyd, I think your hand was the hot fastest one up there. You know, they, the, the voice of experience, you know, uh, maybe just beat mine by a second. I had it you know just running up there. But they don't think like us. Praise the Lord they don't. Amen. We make a much more complete package when we have two minds together, two souls together, two spirits together, working together for the glory of God. Amen? Much, much better when there's the two of us. Much more complete picture of God. And then the fact that we choose to love one another and to build one another up and to support one another, even though we're different, is an incredible picture of the unity in in Christ. That... The church works together, every part in the body working together, working together for the sake of the gospel. Amen? Hallelujah. So God's called us, as diverse as we are, and as different as we are, to work together. And he's called us to take what we have and to use it for his glory. And so if you've got a gift, and you have a gift, you need to be using it. That's why... That's why I'm, I can't be a believer in Lone Ranger Christianity. You know, the people that they just, well, I'm just doing my own thing. I don't need the body of Christ. Well, you're right. You don't need the body of Christ to be saved, right? The minute you came to Christ, remember, your spirit's saved. But you do need the body for your soul to be, experience its fullness and its continuous work. Because the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man or woman's countenance sharpen another. You need the people in the body to refine you. And they need you to refine them. And that beautiful experience of working and living and loving together is what makes us complete and whole. And so if you isolate yourself from the body of Christ and say, I'm just going to do my own thing, then you deny yourself the growth that God wants you to make and you deny others the growth of experiencing experience in you. You might just be the sandpaper to somebody else's finished work. You're like, hmm, I like that. I'd like to be somebody's sandpaper. I like rubbing people the wrong way. No, no, you're going to rub them the right way. <laughs> the God way. But everybody understand what I'm saying? We've been created to work together. And I believe it grieves the heart of God when we stand back and say, I don't, I don't need you. Paul even went to great lengths to make it so explicit in the Bible that the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you because you're not a hand. The foot can't say to the eyes, I don't need you because you're not eyes, and et cetera, et cetera, and it goes through the whole thing. Every part of the body needs one another or else we're not a body. Hello? Amen. So inside of every one of you are these gifts just waiting to come out, just waiting to be released. And a number of years ago, I found this illustration. I think I showed this to you guys three or four years ago. But it just blew my mind when I saw it. And I thought, I'm going I'm to remind you of it again this morning before we go, eat and a ham- go and eat a hamburger, all right? So those of you who weren't here three or four years ago, you probably won't have seen this. But how many have ever heard of Death Valley? This is a picture of it. It is the driest, hottest place in the Western Hemisphere. The driest and hottest place in the Western Hemisphere. Now, listen to this. In 2005, seven inches of rain, seven inches of rain fell on Death Valley. All right? It got seven inches of rain. You said, okay, big deal. But a few weeks later, this was Death Valley. This was Death Valley just a few weeks after seven inches of rain somewhere buried beneath the soil cracked and hard as as concrete were these incredible seeds of potential all it took all it took was for the rain to hit those seeds and no matter how hard that ground had been and how dry it had been and how long those seeds had been sitting there boom they came forth to life and that was death valley only happens Once or so a decade that they get this kind of a a rain, but those seeds, every time they're given the opportunity to bloom, they come forth to life. Those seeds are just like the gifts that God has given you. Now, you have a choice. You can take the gifts that God's given you and you you can put them in the ground and you can be Death Valley. But God never intended the church to be Death Valley. God, by His Holy Spirit, wants to pour out himself upon us and he wants to water those seeds he wants to bring the his living water and deposit it on those seeds and when he does it doesn't matter how dry and inactive that church body has been if they will let holy spirit come and water them and they will use what they have for the kingdom of god life will come forth it will come forth and that's what God wants to do with the church of Jesus Christ. He wants to move our country from a death valley to a place of life. But He needs the church to do it. You know how many Christians I talk to that, A, don't even want to pray for government, don't bother to vote. Don't bother to, to get involved in anything that would help change. Don't get involved in any kind of social organizations, programs, education, anything. Folks, if we, we, we say, well, that's all worldly. I don't want to be involved in it. It's only worldly because we gave it over to the world. You know how many of our universities were started as seminaries? Training places for the gospel. How many of our hospitals were started as Christian places to minister to the sick and the infirmed? How many of our schools were created out of Sunday school, out of the the desire to teach kids to read and write so they could read and and understand the Word of God? Folks, I'm telling you, when we go like this and say, well, that's, that's the world, we have cut ourselves off from the potential that God wants us to have. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all. Everybody say all, all. to the glory of God. Amen. 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 God has called us to get involved in every aspect of society. It's time to engage church. You don't have to be obnoxious. You don't have to go to work every day with a T-shirt on that says "I love Jesus" and if you don't, you're going to hell. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's not what God's calling you to do. But he is asking you to bring your light and to bring your, your, your presence of God into every environment you go. If you own a business, he wants you to run it with integrity. He wants you to be somebody that when they call on you for their service, for whatever their need is, they get the best service. They get somebody who comes in and who's polite, who's kind, who's uh, somebody who does the work that they said they were going to do and charges a fair rate for what that work is. That when they you know, sit under you in a classroom, that they know that there's something different about you. That you're a teacher who has character. Who's able to operate with grace. That when they you know, go to the hospital and you're the, the nurse or the doctor or the person who tends to them, that you're not just, they're not just another number. They're not just another person walking in, but you actually care about the person who's in front of you. No matter what area you're called to work and to serve, that you do it as somebody who's bringing the presence of God into that environment. God gave you those gifts so you'd use them. And we use them out there just as much as we use them in here. Someone say amen. amen. All right. Stand with me this morning. I can smell hamburgers already going. I told them I'd be done at, 12, at 11.30. If you look back there, it's 11.26. That's pretty impressive, I'd say. What do you think, Mark? Impressive? I'm going to pray, and then you got some instructions. Perfect. Mike's over here, buddy. Father, I just thank you that, God, you have called us, Lord, to be uh, conduits of your presence, the holy water that sprinkles our society and turns it from a death valley of dry and cracked ground into some place that brings forth life. And Father, that God, as we use the gifts that you've given us to uh, see people's lives connected, transformed, uh, Father, reworked by your glory, by your grace, that God, there is no, there is no area where, Lord, you will not make a difference if we'll let you work through us. And so, Father, today we ask God for your, your grace. We ask, Father, for your strength to do the things that you've called us to do. And, Father, we ask you, Lord, to help us not to back away but to dive in. And, Lord, to, as my wife and I say, I often say to each other, sometimes it's just hard to do the right thing. But, Father, give us the grace to do the right thing because, Father, you've positioned us there to be the instrument of the right thing at the right time. And, Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I hope you're all hungry.